revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Welcome to Medicon Call. This is Dr. Elena George, and today I have a very important guest on, um, Dr. Duke Testa. I learned about him through my uh, my trip to the Red Pill Expo, and he had an eye-opening presentation, which I think is very timely in the society that we find ourselves in. Our education system is, is under siege. I, I feel blessed that I actually graduated when I did because I actually learned things, and I'm not sure the children are really being educated as much as they're being indoctrinated. And Dr. Testa has a Freedom Project, um, an education uh, course, I should say, an education project that's thinking outside the box and actually going back to the basics and teaching our children Judeo-Christian ethics and actually teaching them how to read and write and think. So, Dr. Testa, thank you so much for coming on today from the, on the show. Uh, it's my pleasure. Tell me, how did you – tell me a little bit about yourself. You actually teach college, and you're in the front line, aren't you? Yeah, I've been a university professor for the last 25 years, and I um, also run an online classical Christian school, completely online, for kids from kindergarten through high school. In fact, I got involved with the uh, online school precisely because I was mortified. Over the last 10 years, these kids come to us in college and they can't uh, my my junior and senior english majors at the university of wisconsin they have about a ninth grade reading level they they they're very undereducated uh they know nothing about history uh and so they, 10 years ago I, I by the time they're 19 and 20 it's hard to reverse that uh so i got involved with education at younger ages but uh yeah we are really undereducating our kids and the thing that that strikes me as really funny is, and I tell this story all the time, 25 years ago when I was a graduate student, right before I started becoming a professor, I was doing some graduate school teaching, and 25 years ago, the kids didn't know a lot. They were pretty ignorant as well. They weren't terribly well-educated, certainly educated beneath their grade level. But those kids, 25 years ago, were somewhat humble. They knew they didn't know things. They knew that there were great gaps in their education, and they felt bad about it. Jump, jump forward 25 years. Our kids today are shockingly ignorant, but they're also arrogant. They have been politicized. They know, it's almost like the less they know, the more rabid their politics are. And as you, mm-hmm. we've all been watching the news, right? What mm-hmm. we see is that uh, these kids that are causing trouble on college campuses, shutting down conservative speech, joining groups like Antifa, these kids, um, they have a very low knowledge level, but a very, very high sense of the superiority of their own worldview. That's obvious. I mean, it's like a glory in being ignorant. And the more you try to have, this is what strikes me, we used to be able to debate. You know, when I was in school, we took debate. We had an argument, a thesis, and we had to prove it. You can't do that with these guys. They get violent. Is that something you, why? (laughs) 
No, you're right. And it's because we're teaching kids. We, we have the, the politically correct progressive movement has stopped teaching kids critical thinking. Critical thinking is a holdover of white supremacy. Logic and the scientific method were invented by white Greek males 2,000 years ago to enslave the rest of the world. Uh, truth, we've deconstructed the idea of truth now. We have actually convinced a couple of generations of college kids that words are as violent as weapons. And so they feel like they're completely justified in shutting down speech they disagree with. Isn't that interesting? When we were kids, it was sticks and stones may hurt you, but words, I'm sorry, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. It was the absolute opposite. Yeah, it's a great point. Like yeah. yeah, it's a it's a great point. And we, we really have convinced college kids that words are more dangerous than weapons. Uh, and it's funny, you know, think about it. The Antifa, the, the college kids who end up uh, on the more radical aspects of the Black Lives Matter movement, the college progressives who are uh, shutting down free speech, they're throwing things at conservative speakers, they're pulling fire alarms and breaking windows so no one's allowed to speak. It's ironic, isn't it, that yeah. my right to speak at a conservative and to to say non-liberal things, to them is much more dangerous than the actual violence they're engaging in. They see the violence of Antifa as a justifiable response mm -hmm. to words which they say are worse. It makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, when you really think about this from a neurolinguistic standpoint, maybe words are being used as weapons, honestly. We've taken the word liberal and progressive, and it's become the opposite, totalitarian really fascism that they've used has thrown that word around a lot, but they seem to want a fascist society where the government controls everything, including your ability to, to speak your mind. And what's so sad about that and tragic is they throw around words like Nazi and fascist, yeah. and it never, ever dawns on them that the it's, very thing they say they hate is the very thing they've become. That's an excellent point. I mean, if you've seen some of the stuff online about the Antifa movement and their flag, it's actually like a distillation of, of the Nazi flag, and the Nazi was leftist. It wasn't right-wing conservatism. It was, it was the opposite. So my university students, when, when I tell my university students that, they just don't believe me. They, they've had 20 years in the, the American public school system, and with things like Common Core and the federal takeover edu of education, kids are getting this kind of propaganda when they're in elementary school now. And when I point out to my university students that the word Nazi means National Socialist German mm -hmm. Workers' Party, that the Nazis were leftists, they're just, they're, their brain is short-circuited. And, of course, on a college camp, and, you know, this is true even off college campuses. This is true of, of progressive politicians and journalists and media. But it's especially true on college campus that the word Nazi, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It just, it's, it's, if you're a conservative, you're a Nazi. You're a Republican, you're a Nazi. If you are a, a Christian or a, uh, you, you vote a certain way or you have certain traditional values, they use the word Nazi on college campuses to simply apply to anybody whose politics and worldview they don't like. Which is really ignorant. Since you, I mean, you can't even explain, or they can't even explain what makes you that, right? It's the perception of it. Christian, Christianity in itself is an issue, right? I mean, I don't know if you're from, you're not from the South, but there's a, what is it, Chick-fil-A. They went after Chick-fil-A because they don't open on Sundays, but that got extrapolated to they're against you know, LGBT and it's racist. How do you extrapolate not opening on Sunday to all of that? But that seems no, to be, I agree. you go to 100. My wife is a Southern girl, and I've lived a lot down in Southern states. And I wish I could move back, actually. I live in the North now. 
I find that in the southern states, the anti-Christian bias has not reached the kind of crescendo that it has in the other parts of the country. And, you know, people do respect uh, a Christian worldview much more in southern states. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chick-fil-A, of course, is one of my favorite restaurants. I patronize them every time I can. And I think you're right. I mean, simply being for traditional marriage now makes you a homophobe. Simply being uh, for due process makes you anti-woman. Simply being mm-hmm. pro-life makes you anti-feminist. I mean, the, the ability of the left, and you can see what I had mentioned earlier, the, 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 the level of their political engagement, the more radical their politics, the more you can be sure inversely they actually know about history. And you know who's the, the poster child for this now is this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. this young 27, 28-year-old socialist who won that primary in a very Hispanic and very liberal uh, district in New York, who every time she's asked about her own forget conservatism or Christianity, every time she's asked about her own socialist views, she cannot explain herself above a second grade level. Isn't that sad? And then, but there's and no that, apology for it, though. I mean, that's the well, thing. It, it is sad, and sadder still is the fact that adult people in New York actually voted for that. I I have no words for it. And I think I saw one interview where they asked her about some financial, you know, a a financial take on something. And she had to admit that she didn't know anything, but that's not what she was there for. Kind of. I mean, you're you're talking about running for a congressional seat where you're going to have to know more than just your worldview and being able to speak about it intelligently. And they don't seem to care. So the tragedy. Oh, go ahead. I was say, the, the tragedy is, you look at some of the congressmen we have now. You look yeah. at Chuck Schumer, you look at Nancy Pelosi, you look at Maxine Waters. I mean, we're talking about people who, either they're smart people who are masquerading behind politics, or we've elected some real doozies to Congress already. I mean, the idea that um, the irresponsibility of a number of our elected politicians uh, is staggering. It's really unbecoming the nation. I would agree with that. And and there's, again, it's a doubling down. You're caught red-handed or you're exposed for something that you, you represent and you're totally hypocritical. Does that stop you? It doesn't. It seems like the people double down even more. There's no uh, no conscience, no, you know, I feel really bad. Like I, I just want to be the best I can be. People don't care. Well, think about it. I mean, think about the mainstream media. Here you have the New York Times. And the New York Times has participated in getting conservative after conservative fired for something they said 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Some You make some offhand remark. Even Roseanne Barr, who I'm not a big fan of, I mean, in the aggregate, what she said may have been distasteful, but to argue that this is some kind of uh, genocidal racist is nonsense. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the same New York Times that drilled, that ginned up all this anger against other people, just recently hired Sarah Zhang, who has a shockingly racist history of posts. She's got 13,000, 130,000 Twitters over the last four or five years. And the number of them that engage in radical racial uh, invective is staggering. And yet the yeah. New York Times hires her because she's not Caucasian, evidently. She seems to get a pass. Uh, and, you know, Candace Owens, right? The the um, yeah. African-American who's working yeah, with Charlie Kirk's organization. Uh-huh. She, you know what she did. She actually took the exact same tweets that uh, Sarah Zhang posted, and she substituted the word white for the mm-hmm. word Jewish. And within one hour, 
Twitter had banned Candace's posts while leaving Sarah Zhang still up there. That's a, just a naked hypocrisy, which, you know, I, I applaud her for that because that was so simple and brilliant. It was brilliant, the yep. same, It really was. There's no argument for it's okay to talk about a certain white people like that, but it's not okay anywhere else. I, I just, anybody, you know, this actually is a good thing, I, I would argue, because people who are who have a sense of decency, who are critical thinkers, must now really be waking up to the fact of that doesn't make any sense. You know, I think that that walk away movement is a real thing. Yes, and I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, people of goodwill of all races and all economic backgrounds, the, 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 perhaps the silver lining of the radical, radical left turn of America, the American media, campus, academia, is that a lot of people now are seeing just how divorced from reality, not just intellectually, mm-hmm. but in terms of their politics, much of this left-wing movement is, this idea, well, we have people on CNN, uh, an African-American uh, host, I can't think of her name, female, was defending Sarah Zhang by arguing that People of color cannot ever be racist, no matter what they do, because racism is privilege and privilege plus power. And, you know, the obvious question, so you're saying there that Oprah Winfrey or LeBron James or, I mean, we're measuring race now. We're measuring prejudice simply on the basis of skin color, and we are completely ignoring what's in people's hearts and souls. And that's what the progressive movement has devolved to. I mean, you know, it took us how many uh, decades to get beyond the notion that skin color had any really defining characteristic. Uh, and, and it was used to be traditional liberals, as you'll recall, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, who kept arguing correctly that uh, what Martin Luther King said, let's get to, get to a pla- place where we were not judging people by the color of the skin, but by the content okay, of their exactly. character. And, to, yeah. and today, Martin Luther King would be considered uh, worse than Uncle Tom for having said that. But you know what? I can't, I can't even express that better than you just did. Let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Duke Pesta. He has uh, a a show called The Duke Pesta Show at freedomproject.com. He is a professor and he is a visionary and he's also, uh, you know, somebody who's not afraid to speak truth to power. I feel like we're in a society now, Dr. Pesto, where if you actually, people are afraid to actually speak their minds. And I think that there's a silent majority out there who have been silenced by this small, vocal, just completely unhinged minority who have the megaphone of the media behind them. I don't think that that's the majority of people. I think you're exactly right. I think the, when you think about the, the unfortunate thing for America today is that some of our most visible and most um, uh, wide-reaching means of communication are all in the control of the left. So you've got Hollywood, and it's impossible to uh, overstate the role that Hollywood entertainment has on particularly young kids, younger people. And then you've got schooling, right? So from the mm-hmm. moment kids go to school at age five till they graduate from college, they're getting almost exclusively a leftist one-wing narrative. And then you've got the media. So whenever any event happens in American culture, it's almost guaranteed to be spun through a dramatically left-wing lens. And so um, when you think about that, there aren't as many, nearly as many progressives 
as you would think, but the media magnifies them. I, I actually consider it a Hollywood smear campaign. Uh, they have convinced us that the m- most of the country thinks the way they do, and so that anybody who disagrees must be a bigot or a racist or a homophobe, and that's why so many people who, who voted for Donald Trump – you remember when Donald Trump was uh, on the verge of the election in 2016, and pe- people, they, the, the media was at the polls, and almost everybody at the polls, nobody ad- admitted that they were going to vote for Donald Trump because they knew <laughs> yeah. what the media would do. And then, yeah. then, of course, the next day when Donald Trump had won, uh, the media just couldn't believe it because they couldn't find a single person who said they were going to vote for him. <laughs> or who said that they were going to vote for the vaccine, right? Yeah. That's I mean, right. It's, there's, most people want the same things. This divide and conquer strategy has been pretty effective, I would, I would argue, over the past eight years, where people are voting against their interests. My mom, and I say on my show, she's from the South, was from the South, from Asheville. When she grew up, she had to go through the back door, couldn't try on clothes, and she did not instill that in me. It's not the same. I went to Princeton. My parents did everything they could to give me a quality of life that they didn't have. I really reject the notion that we haven't moved forward, that nothing has changed. You have a black president twice, like it never happened. How do people argue this, this, this thesis that, we're living in Jim Crow, basically, and nothing's better. We're the worst country in the world, when in actuality it's far from the truth. I think they make that argument, which is demonstrably, historically, obviously not true, right? I mean, anybody mm-hmm. – it's what I mentioned before. The only way the left can win converts is to keep them ignorant. And so according to the left in schools, you know, it, it, it's worse than Jim Crow now. If you listen to some of these activists, we are worse off racially than we have ever been in our history before. Uh, and yet you see, like you said, maybe a black president. You have um, uh, huge uh, African-American voices in entertainment, in sports, Uh, the fact that rich, rich, multimillionaire African-American athletes who went to college for free on scholarships, who have have never really had to hold real jobs because of their great athletic gifts, who are making tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in the NFL, are going to kneel to protest both the American flag and the NFL uh, mm-hmm. because of racial injustice. It, it just rings so hollow to so many people. Now, that's not to say, and you know this as well as I do, sure, there are pockets of problems. Sure, we are not a perfect country, and sure, there are still racial issues that linger. But to mm-hmm. deny progress, to say that progress, uh, and then these are the same people, as you know, who when African Americans do become successful, like a Condoleezza Rice or a Clarence Thomas, they they just hate that success is a mark of how they've sold their people out. Yeah. Yeah. We call that crab in the bucket. That's what we call it. I mean, <laughs> it's unless you can toe the line. And it seems to me like with all things in this leftist vision, there are the haves or the more equal versus the rest of us. And I think we're, if they ever take over the, the society the way they would like to, there's not going to be a middle class. There's not going to be a, a, a way to get yourself by your own bootstraps up into, you know, the upper echelons of our society. That's a great observation. And what these ignorant progressives don't realize is that's the first thing that happens in all totalitarian, fascist, socialist countries. They don't get rid of the poor, and they don't get rid of the uber-wealthy. What they get rid of is the middle class, and the middle class goes away. And the irony of that is is that America has become a freer, more racially equal country precisely because – 
you have a vibrant middle class where poor people can move into the lower and then the upper middle class and then move on to wealth. And also in our system, rich people, by being foolish or stupid or irresponsible, they could fall from the ranks of the wealthy. Uh, in all the, 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 the kind of countries that these progressives are clamoring for are the places where there is actually no social movement possible. Yeah, exactly. And the poor are basically written off. I mean, you don't have a future. I mean, we're looking at, I remember Venezuela used to be one of the countries you wanted to go to. They were oil wealthy. It was free. It was just awesome. Now it's, even I think Maduro said himself that the socialist experiment has failed. I don't know if that's been shown on mainstream media television or not, but that was a huge admission. This is before well, you even hear attempt. You even hear activists who will look you in the eye, and they'll tell you that Venezuela failed because, precisely because there wasn't enough socialism. Uh, the <laughs> argument is, is that you know that it, it was it's all these these uh, pro Western outsiders who have made it impossible for the socialist dream to actually be fully implemented. I mean, the kind of the kind of uh, double speak to use George Orwell's yeah. term, the kind of black is white, white is black, true is false, false is true speak that you're getting from the left is staggering. Staggering. The left can turn anything that happens in American culture into something racial. I don't know if you saw the news the other day, but an academic, a white female academic, wrote a paper in which she argued the use of felt, F-E-L-T, the, the, the texture, right, the material. Mm -hmm. The use mm -hmm. of felt in the creation of artificial robots was a sign of rampant white supremacy. Okay. How's that work? Because, <laughs> because mesh is a man-made synthetic fabric. It's not organic. And it, 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 they talked about how this was a mark of consumerism and capitalism, which dehumanizes. And to apply that to artificial robots was akin to taking liberty and freedom away from minorities. Wow. This is ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, the, I mean, the list of things that are in that, 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 that of are you serious? You know that that how could you even how could it even come out of your mouth? That list is getting longer and longer. I mean, it's you know what's shocking. funny? It, what's funny about that is if you go back ten years ago when we were we were really deeply in the thralls of all this global warming hysteria. Remember mm -hmm. how almost everything in the world caused global warming? Too much rain caused global warming. Not enough rain caused global warming. Global <laughs> breathing or not breathing, CO two was both bad and good. Uh, every time a hurricane or a tornado happened, there was global warming, and if they didn't happen. There was, there was still global warming. And so now we've reached the point where it's the same for race or the same for homophobia or the same yeah. for uh, any, pretty much anything you do, anything you say, can be interpreted as racist because they've written the vocabulary rules, the, the progressive left, and nobody challenges them. And shame on our Republican congressmen and shame on our elected so-called conservative leaders that they, rather than confront this abusive language, they power before it. They would rather right. play along with fake allegations of racism than challenge the person who's accusing you of misusing the definition. That's a very good point. But is it only because they want to stay in power at all costs? I mean, I think their perception is, too, that they want to stay in, and if they don't kowtow to these people, no, the Democratic Party, I think it's always been a socialist, communist type of bent to it, but they've now come out and, and outed themselves by moving more left. And are they doing it because they know they're losing people who really don't identify with it anymore? I mean, we've gone, you talk about up is down, down is up. The Democratic Party 
is exactly what they complain about the Republican Party being. They're not a party of inclusiveness. They're a party of fractionation. They want to keep everybody fractionated and at each other's backs. Somebody took you took something from you, so they owe you. You know, it's a different. They keep their power by making us all hate each other, and, and you know, it's in funny. that way. I- I do think people are starting to see through it a little bit. Um, Not only did Donald Trump win, and I think Donald Trump won because a silent, like you said, the word you use, a silent majority of people just had enough of the the incendiary rhetoric. But just this week in the news, uh, we in recent surveys, we know that Donald Trump in two years has now doubled the number of Hispanic voters who see him favorably, and by 10 percent, his popularity among African Americans has grown. Now you think about the kind of negative, negative, hostile press he's gotten nonstop for two years, and yet my, some different minority groups are beginning to warm to him, not because of what he says, but because the economy's better and people have more money to take home every week, and because the, the, there's a relative, uh, the, 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 the international community is starting to take us seriously again. He's brought hostages home. So when you forget, put, set aside Trump's rhetoric, which can be a little bit goofy, I think people of all different backgrounds and classes recognize that the country is a better place now than it was five years ago. I think you're right. I mean, it's all about surface and substance. And I would have to say that the media plays their role in highlighting and, and making whatever he says as negative as you possibly can, whether or not he meant it that way. I mean, this whole LeBron James and Don Lemon uh, blow up, it's completely ridiculous. How do you go from a very personal attack to two people to he meant that about all black people? No, we didn't. Right. And, and, <laughs> and what, gets me about, what gets me about that story is LeBron James stuck his big nose into a controversy. He came out and he said, look, Donald Trump is using sports to divide us. Okay, he's entitled to his opinion. But before Donald Trump ever became president, NFL players were kneeling. You had uh, ESPN basically transform its entire network to a social justice narrative. Every sport story had a racial overtone to it. Mm-hmm. Then we think about what's gone on in the NBA. It's okay for uh, LeBron James to say that Trump is divisive, but to say that Trump is the one using sports to divide, all Trump did was point out that sports had made itself divisive. And you got Don Lemon now saying the entire black race has been insulted by, by, <laughs> by simply responding to what uh, LeBron James said. It's staggering in its stupidity. It is, and nobody cares. I mean, but that's the the ultimate. They, it's like this echo chamber of them just talking amongst themselves when everybody's really tuning it out. The, the ratings have dropped. No one's really watching their shows. Their movies aren't selling the way they were. I mean, I think you need to follow the money on this because and the viewership because it's not getting larger. But his popularity and his ratings keep going. But, uh, the president now is, what, 50% approval rating while they're doing yeah. all their stuff? It's obviously not working, you know, in the scheme you, of things. This is... This is where the Democrat Party remains stupid. They, this is, it's a party, and again, I, I, I say it grudgingly, the, I realize the Republican Party is perhaps not much better, if better at all. But the Democrat Party in particular, they, they've traded ideology for governing. They've traded their ideological positions, their radical positions, for any kind of meaningful change or governance. I remember, I remember the entire time Barack Obama was president, when Harry Reid was in charge of the Senate, the Senate never once, not one time, did the U.S. Senate ever present a budget that the House yeah. and the Senate could vote on. I mean, that's, if you're not, as a senator, if you're not 
providing a budget. You're, you're not even doing your job. And so we went six and seven and eight years without even a budget being proposed. So this, this radical left, they're not even interested in governing. They're just interested. They're so blinded by their ideology. And again, it's starting to hurt with common people who don't live their lives. You and I don't live our lives by ideology. We live our lives by result. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm going to vote for the guy or the woman who's going to make the biggest difference in making sure the country runs well. And say what you will about Donald Trump. It, it is, it is, I think it's already after two years demonstrably true that he is a much better manager of what affects most Americans' lives than Barack Obama ever was. I, I would have to agree with that. And from a healthcare perspective, after living it, I can definitely say we're on a better trajectory than we were before he got into, into office. I mean, you're a doctor. I mean, you know, yeah. it, this is it's the same it's the same refrain again and again and again. I don't know if you came out saw yesterday a, a major political operative on the left, uh, Matthew Iglesias, is now calling for doctors to make less in, in the name of socialism. <laughs> uh, doctors, Where we are. He, wants, he wants to see doctors' salaries cut one third, and and use the savings to pay for national health care. That's hilarious. But I can tell you from the front line, it's already been cut a third or more. Yep. More and more like two thirds, if you really want to be honest, and that's why doctors are, have sold their practices to hospitals who become employees who are committing suicide, who no longer practice medicine because of the exact reason. So well, this is and don't forget. And don't forget, we ha- we're having a shortage of medical school students now. And a lot of young kids who could be great doctors have decided to walk away because of the nationalization and the fact that they're going to be told by the government where they can and can't practice medicine. This is the interesting thing, another hypocritical point. If all these folks are really unhappy with the government, they want to upend it and anarchy and all sort of stuff, why do they think the government is the answer? They all want the government to control everything. So if it's so awful, wouldn't you want to be independent, run your own show, be an entrepreneur? They don't want that. They want the government to control health care, education, everything. Doesn't make explain, sense, doesn't it? Explain this for me. All right. Explain how these radical activists can make the argument that the American government is historically, utterly, and institutionally racist. That government is corrupt, that the American government has from its origins up till today been a complete racist failure. And their response is let's have more government. Yeah, I know. <laughs> There you go in a nutshell. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're having a really enlightening and fun conversation with Dr. Duke Pesta. You know, Dr. Pesta, I have a question about this whole mindset of everybody gets a trophy, everybody's a princess, everybody's special. I always wondered how that would play out. I think we're seeing it, aren't we? I think we are. We're seeing the, the uh, and a corollary to that. I think you're exactly right to point that out. And the corollary that I see is that um, not only is everybody a winner, it's everybody's a victim too. Notice the parallel. Exactly. You can't have it both ways. Everybody is special and precious and brilliant and valuable, but. Everybody is also a victim, right? Unless you're evidently a white male, a heterosexual, a cisgendered white male, everybody is a victim of something. And, as a, and even white men can claim now, under the socialist paradigm, that they're victims of the 1%, right? So as a, as a non-1% white male, I now have a place where I can scream victimhood, too. It's those evil rich people. And so you see how logically, paradoxically inconsistent progressivism. is. I just gave you one example, right? Mm-hmm. That government is the problem. Government is the problem, uh, the activists tell, it, tell us, and the answer is more government. Here's another one. On the one hand, you're a special snowflake. On the other hand, special snowflakes everywhere are always oppressed by somebody. So we are both heroes and we are both victims. And when you, this is the, the essence of socialist language. It is, again, every, in, every incongruity meshed together. And if all we, if all all we were teaching in the schools was critical thinking. People would see through it instantly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So let's, let's go back into our education system because this is your wheelhouse. It's your specialty. Where do you think this all got started? I, you know, I took Latin. I took critical you know, ethics. These are part of the, my core curriculum when I was growing up in, in high school and middle school. Do they even teach that anymore? No, no, not at all. I think in earnest, it began after World War II. Um, I think, first of all, the, the creation of an American public school system, there's a reason the Founding Fathers made no provision for government schools. The Founding Fathers had spent decades trying to run away from a, a, a governmental system where the government controlled education. If you put the government in charge of education, inevitably you're going to start educating kids for the government's benefit, not mm-hmm. for their own benefit. And uh, But it, it, I think it really ratcheted up in earnest after World War II. We all know what happened in the universities between 1958 and 1970, right? They were mm-hmm. overrun by radicals and Marxists. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western culture's got to go. And uh, once the, the radical left got control of the universities, and they have not let go of it since. That was just a matter of time before the high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools would follow because all of the teachers trained to teach 5 and 7 and 15 year olds were trained to do so in the big universities which had already been taken over by leftists. So uh, over the last 50 years you can point almost with a straight line uh, the more progressive and the more socialist the universities come uh, had become the more the teachers who entered high school and middle school and elementary school the more radicalized they had become and don't forget Bill Ayers, unrepentant terrorist bomber of the Pentagon, Weather Underground. When Bill Ayers didn't go to jail for his crimes, there was really only one career path open to him. He became a professor of elementary education at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Literally, he, for 30 years, that radical leftist socialist, spent 30 years teaching thousands and thousands of young teachers that the place for communism in American schools is the elementary school. So when they talk about things like Head Start, is that just lowering the bar so you get the kids even younger 
and That's start right. indoctrination? Every metric we have shows that Head Start programs do not intellectually advance kids' careers. P- putting kids in school at ages three and four instead of five, it does not give them a head start intellectually. In fact, we now know, recent studies came out that showed it actually socially retards kids. It actually uh, warps them a little bit, sociologically speaking. But the reason mm-hmm. progressives want them is that means you, it's, it's two years earlier you take the kids away from the parents and you begin molding them in your own image. And it also, on the other end, coming out, that's why the social uh, Socialists want mandatory three, four years of college or two mandatory years of community mm. college. They want to extend because many of our graduating high school seniors do not need and will not benefit from college. But you're going to force them into it anyway, not because it's going to make them better educated or more career ready, but it's because it's two more years you're going to hang on to them in the really corrupt public school systems. Wow. That, I didn't even think about it like that. Now, let's talk socialist mindset and communist mindset. Is the state is God pretty much right? And what happens to the Judeo-Christian mentality? I had a friend who I had a conversation with him today, and he said he's taken his child for college. You know, looking at colleges, and one of his college kids' friends said, "You know, do you believe in God?" Because we don't. Kind of, you know, kind of a flip kind of statement, but that's like shocking. I mean, how do you not believe in God, especially when you're in that age group? Is this something that's really been indoctrinated in that sense as well? Absolutely. In fact, I think the core of America's troubles right now stems first with God. It's not that education was corrupted first. In fact, if you look at American public school education, up until about the early 1960s, American kids were doing pretty well on the basics. Up until about 1962, uh, American school scores in math and reading and science were good. They were going up, and they were among the top uh, scores among industrialized nations. Then something happened in 1962 exactly in 1962. And from that moment on, from 1962 to today, our kids' scores have been tumbling. I mean, unremittingly. Our kids, since 1962, have been going down, down, down. And what happened in 1962? I don't think it's a coincidence. That's the very year that prayer was taken out of the public schools. Wow. That's a lot. That says a lot, doesn't it? I mean, it does. All socialist movements, including the modern progressive movement in this country, they start from the premise that there is no God. See, if there is no God, then there is really no overwhelmingly uh, uh, bigger sense of accountability. If there is a God, then we will, whether not in this world or the next, we'll have to answer for what we've done. If there is no God... There is nobody ultimately that we are accountable to metaphysically. And what that means, that means that power, power becomes everything. Think about the story of Christ. I mean, one of my favorite uh, ideas about Christ, one of the things I love most about the Christ story, is that Christ is powerful. He is the creator God. He is God incorporate in human flesh. In other words, he's the strongest creature to ever set foot on this planet. And yet... He chose voluntarily not to become powerful, but to become weak in in the sacrifice of others. And when you get rid of the idea of God and then insist that we are just highly evolved animals living our animal lives, well, well, when you look around the animal kingdom, you see what? You see animals eating or animals being eaten. It's either be strong or get trampled. That's pretty much the the message of the left, isn't it? Right. We're, okay. they, they don't care about the weak. They, they, they claim to support the weak to enhance their own power, not to help the suffering. 
And then the corollary is now the corollary of that makes sense, this idea of moral relativism, which to me is an oxymoron. If you're moral, there is there is no in between. It's either right or it's wrong. But if you use that gray area where whatever you feel is good is good, even the Pope said stuff like that, then that gives you yeah, the ability to do whatever you want. That's right. I mean, and and that's why we've gotten transgenderism, right? Uh, If you look, and it's not just God. Once God was decentered, then it was inevitable that science would be too. Think about how anti-science the progressive left is, right? So biology tells us, forget God for a moment, simple biology tells us that there are male and there are female. That, That is the only verifiable, demonstrable truth of biological gender. There's man and woman, male and female. And yet modern university professors are... And including modern scientists are beginning to tell students that actual male and female are social constructs. They don't exist. However, 96 different made-up genders between male and female, you will treat them as if they are biologically true or we're going to expel you. And so the, the real scientific facts of biology we say are a lie. And what we have made up out of whole cloth without a single piece of evidence, we're forcing kids to believe it as if it were gospel scientific truth. That's a good point. And you can even extend that to people saying that they're a certain race, you know. Like Rachel Dolezal comes into oh, uh... great point. <laughs> you know, Elizabeth Warren takes away a scholarship at Harvard dedicated yep. to Native American faculty simply by calling herself an Indian, right? And now that she's being challenged, but all she's got to do is take a simple little cheek swab and her politics, she won't even do that. So you've got Rachel Dolezal, right, who – and there are people – I couldn't believe there were black activists saying, well, if Rachel Dolezal wants to be black, we should honor that. Why? And that means – and if if I want to be Bill Gates, do I therefore have access to his bank account? The whole thing is stupid. I mean, it just gets more outrageous the more you think about it. I mean, you have people saying – I can just say today I want to be a white man, and people have to honor that, and I can use the male bathroom. I mean, there's just all these things that are just – they're kind of, is this just to upend the social construct of society? It just gets so crazy that the chaos allows it's really to anar- it's really people. Chaos is a great word. Chaos is the right word. What they really are is they don't even know it. What they really are is anarchists. The mm-hmm. Alexandria Cortezes of the world, she just wants to tear down what exists. She has no idea what to replace it with. Uh, and it's the same thing with Antifa. It's the same thing with Black Lives Matter. All these radical groups, they want to tear down the existing system because they don't think it's fair. But, with, but, but they don't have enough historical understanding to recognize that for thousands of years we've been tearing things down and we have yet to find something better to replace it with. Get rid of capitalism. Get rid of free markets. Get rid of liberty. Get rid of all of it. Okay, good. You've, you've struck a blow for independence. Now what? What are you going to replace it with? Because inevitably, it's some kind of neo-fascism, isn't it? It's Bolshevism, or it's communism, or it's socialism, or it's uh, Nazism, some kind of statism where God goes away, and the absolute power of God is gone. But now we invest that same godlike absolute power in the state and in our elected officials, who after a short time aren't even elected. I think it's interesting that the premier of China basically just voted himself Mm -hmm. premier for life. Isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah, it's true, yeah. (laughs) Are we surprised? But then the next corollary to that is the gun movement, right? So Mm -hmm. if you remove the the one thing really, aside from our, our freedom to speak, our freedom to associate, the freedom to carry, if you so choose, a weapon to protect your personal safety, 
If you remove that, you've just taken away everybody's ability to stop this process, haven't you? What a a remarkably profound statement from our founding fathers. The Second Amendment exists not for hunting, not not even so you can protect your backyard from an intruder, although that's a nice corollary. The Mm -hmm. purpose of the Second Amendment is to protect us from government. The founding fathers knew that if armed citizens, if, if citizens were allowed to arm themselves, it would be much harder for any government ever to take away their other fundamental rights. And so while I'm glad I own a gun, because if somebody breaks into my house, I can protect my wife and kids. But I'm also recognizant of the idea that you look at the Nazis. The first thing that among the first three things the Nazis did when they took power in the 1930s was national health care. They forced people into the socialized medicine, number one. Number two, they banned all sorts of schooling other than public schools. So they, they made the state the only educators. And number three, they banned all guns. So when the Nazis did take power illegally in 1933 and 1935, there weren't even enough armed citizens to fight back. That's the easiest of a walkover then at that point. That's right. And that's what the American left wants. And let me remember those contradictions we were talking about about the left. How about this one? The left keeps arguing that Donald Trump is worse than Hitler. The left keeps arguing that the American government under Donald Trump is a Nazi regime, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does the gov- what do the leftists want? Take our guns away. Wouldn't you think if the leftists really believed that, that Trump is a Nazi, wouldn't the left be screaming for every American citizen to arm himself to take back our country? No. They say the government's Nazi, and then they turn around and say, give up your guns. It seems to me that if, if Donald Trump really is a Nazi, the left is actually contributing to the takeover of Nazism by insisting that our guns be taken from us. Wow. There you go. That was a profound statement and so true. It just doesn't, they don't make any sense. There's no critical thinking skills. It's just, uh, let's take a break because when we come back, I want to talk about your, your program, your, the benefits of homeschooling so people can see that we do have a choice. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. In our last segment, uh, Dr. Pesta, I want to talk about what you're doing. I think we did a wonderful job of explaining the hypocrisy and the ridiculousness of what's going on. But people need to know that they have options. And you actually, instead of just talking, you've actually put out a program, an educational program that can actually help people. Tell us about that. Well, we are one option in many. I mean, the nice thing about living in America is that uh, even today there are still enough choices and enough different kinds of people, real diversity, not what the left calls diversity. So we're one solution. I mentioned at the very beginning of the program that I got involved with education at the lower levels because these kids were coming to me in college so far behind. And so we created Freedom Project Academy. What we are is that we're a complete online school from kindergarten through high school, which means your kids will sign on to our classes and and they'll get on their computer a couple times a week, and they'll be with other kids all across the country and across the world in classrooms, and there are live teachers, not recordings, not discs that you have to put into a computer and watch them. We have live teachers teaching kids real educational knowledge in real time. Our teachers do all the grading, all the assigning of, of homework, and all the assessment of tests. And basically, we are a classical Christian school. We're teaching kids none of this common core nonsense, none of this ideological political BS. We're teaching kids reading, writing, math. One of the courses we teach, this came up earlier, uh, in, at every grade level, is economics. Our kids are so economically illiterate. 
And so the nice thing is is that your kids can stay in the comfort of your own home where there are no bullies, where there is no drugs, where there are no sexualization lessons, where people aren't breaking in and shooting up your family. Your kids can stay in the comfort of your home. They can log on to the computer. They can have real classroom and real classmates, real teachers in real time. We are fully accredited, which means our kids are going to great colleges when they graduate, uh, and we have the lowest tuition imaginable for an entire year of classes, nine months of schooling, where our teachers do all the heavy lifting, it's about $2,200. We're talking about 70 cents a school day. Yeah. And so uh, (laughs) this is a fantastic way to give your kids a good, solid Christian conservative education, one that will be recognized by colleges and one that keeps mom and dad in control. Let me say one more thing about it. The nice thing about us is that your kids log on to school a couple times a week. They take their classes. But the minute the live class is over, we immediately upload it. And mom and dad, you can come and watch every second of your kid's schooling if you want to. Unlike the public schools where they don't let you in and they won't show you what the kids are doing and they don't want you to see the kids' tests. If you ever have a problem, the entire school year is video recorded. So you can log, or, or if your kid is struggling in math, you can just go back to the class at home in the evening, sit him down, go back to the class, call up the moment in the math class where the teacher was teaching the difficult lesson, and you can replay it and replay it and replay it until you and your child are able to move beyond it. So it very much empowers moms and dads, too, to be in charge of their kids' education. That's awesome. And it's so reasonably priced. You know, I mean, the thing that I'm sure you probably get this, too, well, what about people who economically can't afford it, you know, this is, it's not fair to them, it locks them out. Do you ever get that as a criticism? Well, we do. We consider our work missionary work. In other words, the money we collect for tuition, the, almost all of it goes to the teachers. We're paying the teachers from the money. So we're not making a huge margin. We, we're able to function as an administration through donations. Mm-hmm. So we, the, we run the school and provide the technology all through the generosity of our donors. The tuition goes to pay the teachers, number one. And number two, we have a tuition assistance fund, which means for moms and dads who absolutely cannot afford to attend the school, we have a, a reservoir of money, again donated, where we'll give out tuition assistance. We will provide scholarships and we'll provide grants uh, in the, up to and including 50% of the entire tuition for parents to be able to attend. And so we gave away $50,000 in tuition assistance to our students this year alone. That's awesome. Because uh, you always hear from the naysayers who don't think of anything positive. They always try to spin it negative. It's only going to help a certain percentage. But in actuality, this is so much more convenient than a, 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 one of those charter schools. I mean, you don't have to travel outside your home. You can be with your child's safety. I mean, you just named all the things. But for me, as a, and I love education, you have a, uh, a system that's actually teaching a child to critically think. I mean, in your opinion, has, what's, what is core curriculum? What is that wrought? I mean, I don't even understand the math part, let alone anything else. The but bottom line is it's really, it's really easy to get your mind around this. For, think about what Common Core is. Common Core is pure socialist education. I always ask my listeners and ask your listeners, raise your hand out there in Radio Land if your kids are common. <laughs> Nobody ever raises their hand. Raise, raise your hand if your kids are standard. Of course not. What the progressives mm-hmm. have figured out is they can they, – if, if what we do 
is allow kids to proceed at their own pace. If what we do is allow kids, kids who are smart to jump ahead. If you got a fourth grader who could read it at an 11th grade level, let them read 11th grade books. To the progressive left, that's socially unjust. Wow. Rather than have an education system that tries to push people to be the best they can be, because that system will leave behind the low performers, right? Mm-hmm. We have now got an education system that caters to the bottom. Think about the word common core. We're going to give every we're going to make sure not that kids who are individuals can become what they're meant to be. We're going to make sure that every kid graduates knowing exactly the same thing. If you're going to get 60 million American school kids to exactly the same place, by definition, it has to be a lower place, right? Every time you raise a standard, every time you raise achievement expectations, kids fall off the bottom. So they're not going to do it anymore. They've figured out that that in the name of social justice, they're not going to try to educate the low-performing kids. They're going to hold the high-performing kids down. It's much easier to hold smart kids down than it is to lift up kids who aren't interested or capable of succeeding at a high level. And that's the wickedness of this. We're going to take excellent kids and make them common kids. We're going to take radically diverse kids and force them to become the exact same kind of kid. That's the kind of socialist education our kids are laboring under in the public schools now. And then you add in the fact that from a psychological perspective, you're asking, or you're, the kids are now in a position where they're asking for that. That they, you know, they don't even know what good is. They don't even, they don't understand what they're not even, what, how they're yeah, doing. And they're not, and, and, and Lou, see, once you start teaching math, then the good math, serious, once you seriously start teaching math to kids, then the better math students rise to the top. Once you start mm-hmm. take, teaching kids serious books, have them read serious books, the really good mm-hmm. readers are going to rise to the top. So they're not doing any of that anymore. Math class and English class and history class are now being, more time is being spent uh, sociologically engineering these kids, psychosocial education, paying attention to kids' attitudes and worldviews, trying to mold kids to become good little progressive citizens rather than equipping them for college or career. What you're really doing to kids is you are indoctrinating them. You're using public school time to pass on a very specific set of progressive values. And in order to do that, you don't teach them serious academic discipline anymore. You know, I even go a step further. And I would say also you're teaching them to kowtow to authority. I mean, in my school, we didn't have police drills. We didn't have, um, you know, these... uh, I don't know what they do, but they sometimes they, they do these drills, shooter active shooter drills where they'll come in and just do that in full uniform. That's a horrible situation to be in. How do you, I mean, that's got to damage children to see that. Well, it's statism, right? Exactly. What you're teaching kids is not to be loyal to their families or to their own religious traditions or to their own uh, peer groups. You're convincing kids at ages four and five that their allegiance belongs to the state, that only government can look after them, that collectivism and socialism, these are the ways, these are the only ways that people are treated fairly and well. And that's the thing that, I remember when I started this conversation, I said, you know, 25 years ago, kids came to college and they were ignorant, but they were humble. Now, Mm -hmm. kids are much more ignorant and they are much more arrogant. They're proud of what they don't know. Why should I have read Shakespeare? Why do I need to understand the Odyssey or the Iliad? Why do I have to know geometry? Mm -hmm. To know those things is to participate in racist white culture. And so by being ignorant and not knowing those things, I'm now a progressive social warrior hero. 
Well, could, all right, let me ask you this because it doesn't make any sense to me either. Suppose, all right, if you're, if the white culture, I like a better way to put it, is the worst thing in the world, what does that make the white students feel? I mean, they're basically self-hating. They're speaking against their own, like, kill all white people and you're white. What are you, what are you saying about yourself? Well, it, it doesn't just demoralize white kids. It turns them into monsters. You know, oh. remember the Candace Owens things we talked about, right? So Candace Owen and Charlie Kirk are sitting in a Philadelphia restaurant. And Candace Owen is obviously African-American. And a group of white young Antifa protesters, white females primarily, enter this restaurant and start screaming at Candace Owen that she is a white supremacist. (laughs) So you see what this does? It turns white kids into monsters. So the white women now, these white liberals, are blacker than Candace Owens because she's a conservative. The white women feel like they can scream in the face of an African-American female because she's a conservative. So you are both at the same time. You are demoralizing a lot of white kids. You're making kids feel like they're little kids who are too old to understand collective guilt. Six- and seven-year-olds are being burdened with the idea of white privilege, right? You tell a six-year-old that the color of her skin or his, her skin or his skin makes them guilty, they're gonna, you're destroying them. Meanwhile, no. what's the only way for white students to demonstrate that they're not racists? It's to become Antifa members, right? It's to become anti-white, anti-Western culture, anti-Western value. So you've got the absurd situation now that pasty, pasty white women think that they're allowed to to, to shout racial epithets at black women as long as those black women are not conservative. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. This is like a, a Petri dish, a psycho Petri dish. It's amazing. In the minute or so we have left, tell people how they can listen to your show and how they can follow your work. Well, I appreciate that. We have a weekly show. It's called The Dr. Duke Show. It's available at fpeusa.org, or you can type in The Dr. Duke Show on YouTube or on Facebook, and it airs live uh, every Thursday afternoon, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, which would make it 4 o'clock Central Standard, uh, Eastern, uh, Western Standard Time, uh, Pacific Time. So it's at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and you can adjust for your time zone. Uh, but it is, um, it's an exciting show. We do it once a week. And then once you're there at fpeusa.org, check out the school, too, and see some of the other interesting things we're doing. I can't wait to have you back on. I mean, it was just a joy to have. I, just, I feel like this hour went by really fast. But I had a I had a blast, and I want to thank you it for did. coming it, on. It it did, and I appreciate the open minded and interesting conversation. I'll come back anytime you need me. Just give me a call. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.